Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with Friends, and I have a new friend, Stuart Mitchell. I found Stuart on Instagram. He is known as Vigilante Vegan, and I have had just a huge crush on him, so I invited him on the show. (laughs) Welcome, Stuart. Thank you so much for having me. We know very little about each other, but I just want to tell you how much I admire you and your message and your... um, I love that it's Vigilante. It really has that um, deep sense of conviction. Can you tell me, how did you become Vigilante Vegan? Oh, first of all, uh, Vigilante Vegan came uh, actually from my, my love of Batman. Uh, Batman is considered a vigilante. And uh, when I was young, I made the correlation between me and Batman. Like He lost both his parents when he was young. He was a dark, mysterious person. And uh, I kind of I relate to that, uh, losing both my parents young and just being like a, a, a I don't want to say a dark soul, but there's a like a, a darkness to me. And just the idea that he he does things without standing around and waiting for the credit. Like he does the right thing because it has to be done, not because he wants praise and uh, acc- accolades for it, because it's just the thing, the right thing to do. So uh, I've always been a big Batman fan and he's always been uh, considered a vigilante. So that's where the name came from. And obviously I'm vegan and I love animals. So I'm the vigilante vegan. Oh my gosh. Wow. There's so much to to dive into there. So, I mean, so many people with having a huge loss like that could go in a a variety of directions. What or who kind of, um, besides Batman, helped you in this direction that is such of service, such of being a voice to those who really truly have no voice and have no rights? How did you, who or what directed you there? I wouldn't say it was one particular person. I think it was just life experiences, things that I've seen growing up and things that I, I experienced firsthand. You know, I started to question where, where our food comes from, like how, we have, how do we have access to so much food? Like when you walk in a supermarket and you see meat on a shelf or you go into a restaurant and they have like an unlimited supply of, of just 
animal products. And I started to question where where all this food came from and how do we have access to it every day? Because in my mind, I always thought that farms were these open air places, green grass, blue sky, animals just live in harmony until it was their time to go. And I started to do a little research and I found out that that's not the case. That it's these places called factory farms where these animals are bred for the sole purpose of being slaughtered. And they don't live these happy lives. They live very in, in very miserable conditions before they're slaughtered and become our, our meals. And that opened my eyes to what we do and a lot of things we take for granted. So I, I didn't immediately stop then and there, but it, it always stuck with me, uh, those visuals and the idea that animals are dying for our, uh, our consumption. And somewhere along the line, like later on down the line, I decided to make a choice to stop contributing to that industry or this, uh, this vicious cycle. So that's, that's what led me to it. And did you, you, uh, you weren't raised vegan. So when did you first hear about this idea of veganism as, as a, and, and I want to dive deeper into both of our opinions about it. Cause I think we're very similar in that way, but h- how did you first hear about it? You know, I, I can't remember. I, I remember hearing the term vegan and I thought it was some hip, hippie trendy way of saying vegetarian. I thought it was like somebody shortened the word vegetarian and made it a slang, but I had no idea what a vegan was. And I, I really don't remember where or when like I learned about veganism. Or maybe I maybe I Googled the term, just knowing me, I'm very inquisitive. I probably Googled it, but this is going back a couple of years now. I'm I'm vegan for 10 years. And probably before that, I Googled the term and I realized, like, oh, this is much more than just not eating animals. Like this is a lifestyle. Like this is all about the animals. It's it's the total el- elimination of Everything that animals produce, eggs, milk, yeah, dairy products, stuff like that. So it, it seemed pretty hardcore. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I think this is something that, that I want to do. And when you, what was your experience in that transitioning um, into veganism? Well, at least from the, the diet part. I mean, veganism, as you, as you started to mention, is, is more than that. It's a philosophy. But certainly what is known the most about veganism is the, the, the eating, because that's what we do. And of course, that affects just the vast majority. Well, maybe not even the majority, but a huge, huge, huge number, uh, billions of animals. What was that transition like for you? <laughs> you know, I hate to say it. it. It wasn't a hard transition at all. I hate to tell people that, but it's, it's just a reality. I mean, one day I was sitting down eating dinner and it was uh, a leg quarter on the table. And I remember looking at this, this leg quarter and I didn't see food. I saw a part of an animal and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is wrong. And I remember eating everything around it. I don't remember what was on the plate uh, along with it, but I remember eating everything else except the leg quarter. And the next day I Googled uh, nutrition facts and where do I get protein and where do I get calcium and, you know, plant-based obviously. And it was just off to the races from there. Like I, I went vegan in one night and I, I didn't look back after that. I mean, I was the same way and it's been 19 years for me. Um, my husband and I became vegan overnight. I mean, we'd been vegetarian, so it wasn't, but I've had many people, many friends that have like made the transition from omnivore to vegan. And, you know, I get, I think it's a mindset. Like when you decide this is no longer compatible with my values, 
it's really clear. And I also found it really easy. I found that I felt amazing. I'd had dairy, probably allergies or like just some, I mean, we're not made to have dairy. We're not cows. So everybody probably has a little something, but I felt so much lighter and, and brighter. So like when you, I think, you know, you and I are great examples because so many will say, well, I tried it, but then I started to feel this. I started to feel that. Kind of, what is your stance on that? When people say, you know, I tried veganism and I just didn't feel like it worked for me. Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't judge people because everybody has their own way of approaching things. And, you know, we're all different in that regard, but I think some people just take to it. Some people, they need time. I think some people need education. I think that's the most important things that they're educated on where they can get their nutrients and why it's important that we leave animals off our plate. I mean, some people don't internalize the idea that animals are not food and they have this concept that certain animals are only exist so that we can benefit from them in some kind of way. So education is important. And some people, I think they just need excuses. They don't want to change and they don't feel the need to. And that's unfortunate. I mean, but in reality, that's, that's what we deal with. But for everyone else, I think they just need to learn where where the uh, other sources of protein come from, where the other sources of all these other nutrients that are necessary for uh, vital health come from, and also make the connection. I think that's the, the most important piece is that they make the connection between themselves and other species and that we share this planet with millions of other species of animals that have every right to live as much as we do. And we don't have any right to take that away from them. So it's, it's, Education and compassion, basically. So I don't, and again, I, I don't judge anybody for saying that they tried and it was too hard. I mean, maybe they just need that extra push or just that extra bit of knowledge to get them over that hump so they can go vegan for good. Yeah, I agree. I feel like if you're doing it, like when people become vegan for their health or even for the environment, those are very compelling reasons. But I feel like when you do it for the animals, um, which it sounds like you did and what I did, there, it, that's kind of, it's a non-negotiable. Like it's it's not like if it doesn't feel good, like I've had moments where not many, but you know, a doctor has questioned about something and said, well, maybe you need to supplement. And I've just, I, I was like, I, this is just, that's not even a discussion. So I feel like when you go to the point we we have, it is actually easier because it's just very clear. It's like, that's not even an option. So I'm going to figure out every other possibility. Um, in terms of health and like when you are speaking to people, what, I mean, you obviously are very healthy. What are some of the things that you advise people or what you found that people are most curious about? It, it all depends on, on the approach. And, uh, and in my experience, a lot of people are concerned about what else are they going to eat? It's not really from a health perspective or they care about animals. It's what else am I going to eat? And I think it's important that we highlight what's out there. And uh, for the most part, a lot of it is not healthy. I mean, we live in the era of the Beyond Burger, the Gardein, and all these other companies that are making these amazing meat substitutes. They're not always the healthiest substitute, but neither is meat. But if that, if that option is there and I can guide them in that direction, if that's what their main uh, concern is, then I'll guide them in that direction. I'll speak to them about the the uh, the Beyond Burger or 
the the Gardein products or uh, Boca Burger or, or whatever else is out there, impossible because a lot of people can't like like you said, like with me and you, can't just take themselves off of what they've known their whole life in one day. And it takes a transition for some people. And luckily, we live in an era where there are companies that is, that's making it a lot easier. Like, I always hear people, the biggest thing is cheese. Everybody, I never had that problem. I, I always thought cheese was disgusting. I, I didn't like the smell of it. <laughs> You're lucky because a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people get addicted to it because it is one of the few food groups you can physiologically become addicted to because of the letdown. I have nursed a baby, so I understand this. There is a hormone that um, that is that comes out and it has a euphoria like an opioid. And that's what bonds the baby. That's what bonds the mother with the baby calf. And we're taking that and that, so we get that like, ah, that effect, but it's not made for us. It was made for the baby, but you can't, so people do get addicted to that. Like, oh, cheese makes me feel so, you know, melted cheese sandwich makes me feel like I'm at home or, you know, like this kind of really secure and homey, comfortable feeling. So you're lucky you never had that association because a lot of people do. And I'm like, you just got to dig in and get past it. And once you get past that kind of craving, you will then look at it kind of like you did. It's disgusting. It smells bad. It's curdled hormones. You know what I mean? Like it's just (laughs) hormonal secretion. So um, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. So you didn't have to worry about cheese, but what, what are the, yeah. So you never had cheese, but what are some other things people like will ask about? Well, uh, what just to finish up my thought, what I was going to say was that they're they're creating so many other options for cheese as well. And from what I understand, like people that that love cheese say that the texture and it's the same consistency that with texture and taste that these uh, these other companies are coming up with. So really, you don't have an excuse now to not go vegan because they're like there's a substitute for just about everything that you grew up eating. Uh, but as, as far as other concerns, uh, the, I think the second one would be health. Like people are, you know, they, they want to go vegan because they want to be a, a lot more healthier, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I get that. But my main thing is I try to get people, no matter what I'm talking about, whether it's what else am I going to eat or I want to be a little bit healthier or I want to lose weight, I always bring the attention back to the animals because I feel like if people approach veganism for their health or for the convenience of like eating like the, the, the mock meats and things like that. Like you put, you might go back to eating the animal product. If you haven't internalized the idea that these animals are not products. So I always try to bring it back to the animal so people can uh, understand that veganism is not, even though there are great benefits of it, the health and everything else, the, uh, the environmental impact, but it's all about the animals. So I try to bring that attention back to them and always try to get them to watch documentaries where animals are being harmed for mm. food or fashion or whatever use humans might find for them so that they would grasp the idea that animals are here with us, not for us. You really are a Batman. I love it. Um, so you can speak to this in a way that I can't. And I've had people ask me this. Um, being a Black male... I have been, I I would love to hear your opinion about this idea that some people have purported that veganism is a white privilege thing. And I, of course, have my thoughts about it, but I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, I don't, I don't know where that started. 
And it's unfortunate that people have this idea that it is a white privilege thing. I, I mean, I know it's not. You know it's not. I mean, I, I don't think you do. But I, I think when you can put a face to a movement or to uh, something like veganism, like usually it's a white face attached to it. And I think when you are from a marginalized group, it's easy to say, well, white people don't have any problems. So or they can care about animals, or they can afford to eat this expensive vegan food. But I think that's a false narrative. I think marginalized people understand oppression more than anybody, so they would be they would be more open to the idea of going vegan for the animals. Um, but for me, it's not a white privilege thing. It's not uh, an economic thing where people that have more money or more affluent can afford to be vegan. I'm, anybody can go vegan. I tell people all the time. Uh, Vegan food is some of the, the, the cheapest food you can, you can buy. Rice and beans cost you nothing. Uh, pasta costs you nothing. Uh, fruits and vegetables cost you nothing. So there's really no excuse. You can't use this white privilege excuse anymore for not going vegan. And I think that it's important for me as a person of color to be a face or some kind of representation so that people that look like me can see me as an example of why it's not. And why I'm breaking these uh, barriers or why I'm dispelling this myth that veganism is a white thing or an affluent thing. So I think in that regard, it's, it's black representation is very important. And it's not just me. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not somebody people know, but there are people out there that are pushing the needle. They're they're making strides to bring veganism to other communities. There's people like Tabitha Brown. Uh, there's people like Dominic Thompson. People that, are, that have bigger followings and that people admire. And they're people of color. Uh, also, right here in, in New York, in Brooklyn, there's a brother named Amawale Adwale, who's the founder of Black Veg Fest. And he's doing a tremendous job of getting veganism into communities that necessarily would not hear this message. So I think that representation is important, not just in, in like the black community, but all communities so that we could break this, this idea that it's a white, affluent, trendy, hip thing to do to be vegan. Amen. Because compassion is universal. Compassion doesn't have, you know, color. And I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I've, I've, I've also been met with, well, it's, it's a privileged, not necessarily white, but you may need to have more money. Well, no, in fact, a vegan diet is probably way cheaper and it can be. There are obviously the issues of these urban food deserts, but that is not the animal's fault, right? We shouldn't, you know, that is way, that's much more layered. We get into subsidizing and all of that, but there are many people who are going out there and creating gardens in more um, urban areas and offering more of the, you know, choice because that is that is a very important thing but like you said this if it comes from compassion about the animals we're going to find a way and everybody needs to be represented and in fact that's the beautiful thing about veganism is is it's open and it's a calling for everyone to come together and like you said being oppressed in any way being marginalized in any way i'm always it's always curious how different groups that have been marginalized uh, that that sometimes don't kind of um, meet together and see the commonality of that. And um, so that's why I, I think in particular being a male, because males 
in the animal wel- welfare world are are not as prominent as females. You know, there's a lot of females out there who, um, and they're, you know, now, like you said, Dom is a good friend of mine as well. I mean, there are more males out there, but it's wonderful to see uh, a male of color who's out there for the animals and is talking about it from the compassion, from the philosophy. What, like, how do you spend your day? Like, is as a, as this vigilante, how do you decide, like, where are you going to put your efforts? There's so many things to tackle. A lot of people can get overwhelmed in activism uh, because, like you said, the needle can really just barely go. And how do you how do you decide where you're going to put your efforts and energy? And do you have a plan? I do. But uh, before I before I get into that, I just want to say, like you you said that uh, there's not too many men in this movement, or like they're not that present, but. And you're right. Women are doing the most work when it comes to animal liberation, animal rights. Women are doing the most work and they should be commended for that. But it's always a white male face put on the movement. And I think that's that's what sours it a little bit, is that we always have that uh, that patriarchy uh, element where these white men are put on the pedestal and necessary and they're not necessarily doing the most for animals i mean they they they're doing a lot to spread a message but they're not doing the work and from what i see it's always the women doing the work it's always the people of color that are doing the work they're they're more of us than people think we're out there and we're doing the work but you always there's always this white male face that's that's put on the the movement and it's guys and you you know who they are i don't want to mention any names or cause any any trouble on your podcast but uh, we we need to put uh, a woman's face to the movement. Not that animals need a savior or this is about people, but give the credit where, where it's supposed to go to. And the women are doing the most work. And in regards to what you asked me before about uh, how I spend my day and, what, and my plans, I work with Voters for Animal Rights. That's an organization based out of Brooklyn. It's ran by Ali Feldman, who is tremendous. I mean, you talk about somebody who does the most for animals, but doesn't get the credit she deserves is definitely Ali Feldman. And what we do is we, we try to back and endorse of elected officials and hold them accountable for legislation when it comes to animals. And I think that's a form of activism that a lot of people need to get involved in, in whatever city or state you, you may reside, because that's the, the, the next and the biggest form of activism is when we bring it to the political arena and hold elected officials accountable for animal rights. Uh, we last year had a big, uh, the foie gras ban. I don't know if you heard about this, uh, but we were successful in banning foie gras from being sold in New York. As you know, and if you see by my t-shirt, this is what, what I'm talking about. But foie gras is this gruesome, they, they this, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to explain it, but basically they, they take ducks, they force feed ducks until their liver, which is pretty much the size of a baseball, grows 10 times that size. Then they, they kill the duck to serve their liver as uh, some kind of delicacy in very expensive restaurants. So we'll, we stop that from happening. So by next year, foie gras will be off of the menus in New York and it will be banned from being sold in New York. Uh, another big bill that we're working on is the ban on the sale of fur. In New York, which is we're getting a lot of, uh, it's not going as smoothly as we would like it to, but we're we're trying to get it in that direction where we get all of these 
council members on board and our and our state senators on board with banning the sale of fur in New York because it's it's one of these things where it's almost like it's a it's a dying uh, industry, but you have people that's that's doing their best to hold on to it. Uh, we've seen a lot of fur farms close all over the world. We've seen uh, California ban the sale of fur. All of these big names like Prada, Gucci, Fendi, uh, Macy's, they they ban using fur in their in their inventory and moving forward. So you would think that this is something that we that would be just like the final nail in the coffin. But, but uh, we're getting a lot of pushback, and it's it's a lot harder than we thought it was. But other than that, there's a lot of other things that I involve myself in. Like I'm involved with Slaughter Free NYC, which is a group that's looking to uh, shut the, the wet markets, sort of live markets down here in New York. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because like obviously wet markets and live markets might people before COVID-19 might have never even realized these exist and they exist in urban areas, not just in China, but in New York. So like if I were to walk, like if somebody would walk up, what would they see in a live wet market? It's, it's disheartening. And the reason a lot of people don't know they exist is because of what you said. They exist in urban areas. So if you're not from a, a not well-to-do area, you wouldn't know these places exist. But they do. There's over 80 of them in New York City alone in the in the five boroughs. And basically what you would see when you walk in is uh, cages of chickens, rabbits, pigeons, ducks, all crammed in, into these cages together, waiting their their ultimate demise based on who comes in and, and makes that decision for them. I mean, you can walk into a live market and pick out whatever chicken or rabbit or duck you want as your dinner for, for that night and have them slaughtered right there on the spot. And a lot of times these these live markets are a detriment to the community. They're 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 filthy. They they break a lot of uh, health code violations. They they uh, push their waste into the sewage here in New York. A lot of the people in these communities don't want them there, but they don't know what to do. So it's it's very imperative that we're out there with, with, with we're handing out leaflets, we're handing out information on their council members that they can call and help us push this bill so that we can get these live markets shut and hopefully replace them with more healthier businesses, a health food store, maybe a vegetable market, things that will benefit the community and not destroy it with with the waste that goes into their, like I said, the sewage and the water supply and everything else. So it, it would do a great, a great uh, service to these communities if these places didn't exist anymore, it would do a great service to the animals, obviously. And it would probably potentially prevent another pandemic from happening because as we know, COVID-19 started in a wet market in China. This could have happened in Brooklyn. It could have happened in Manhattan. It could have happened anywhere where these live markets exist. So the goal is to get them shut down right now. And we're doing that with uh, Slaughter Free NYC. We're doing it with Brooklyn Queens Animal Save and a host of other organizations that exist here in New York. That's incredible. I'm I'm so inspired by everything you said. And you know, it's, I don't think many people realize um, they're, they're so disconnected to the meat they're eating. And I think if we, it's just like, I talk a lot about this in my yoga practice. It's a lot about paying attention. And most people probably wouldn't choose to go and buy their chicken and have it slaughtered in front of them. That I can't imagine. I mean, there might be a feeling of, oh, it's really fresh, but that's just kind of, I just can't even imagine being in the neighborhood where that's happening. 
there's such um, agony, distress, and and just pain and anguish around that. No animal's going to its death willingly. We know that. They're struggling and they're fighting. They want to live and they have the right to live as, as much as we do. But people, you know, then they go to the packaged grocery store and it comes in this nice little saran wrap and it's totally disassociated from, from that. So I think a lot of it, like what you're saying is is educating and legislation is huge. It's so hard. I just really commend you because I've been involved in very little of it. I was on, I'm on a task force here in New Jersey and it was it was amazing having to go um, to the representative's office over and over over a very simple bill that would have been like no big deal. But, you know, it's all like, well, are the voters going to respond? It's it's very tough. So it has it has to change on all fronts. And legislative is the most one of the most powerful ways, though, because like you said, when you ban something and you take away the value of it, the existence of it, um, that's incredible. I just wish we could do that on a lot of fronts. But I think we're in that place where a lot has to happen because of illnesses like COVID-19, uh, the politics, just so much ugliness is up and around that we have to look at front on. Um, and so what when you see all of this as an activist, what, what keeps you coming back and not, obviously you're doing it for the animals, but like, is there one kind of vision or message that you hold in your heart, like when you feel really disgruntled, kind of down that things aren't going a certain way, like what continues to motivate you to show up and do this work? You can't, when you believe in something, you can't just give up. I mean, people burn out and they they sometimes question why they're doing the things they do. But when you believe in liberation, you fight for it. And you don't uh, give yourself an excuse to quit because you're not you're not giving up on yourself. You're giving up on those that you're trying to liberate. In this case, we're talking about animals, and we can't give up on them because this this is a vicious cycle. That if we continue to do what we're doing, uh, the in, the impact on the environment is going to be catastrophic. The impact on our health is not going to get any better. I mean, we've only seen as the production of meat increase, so does people's uh, health. Uh, decline. It gets worse. Um, it's estimated that around 700 and seven, 710,000 people a year will die from heart disease. And that is brought on by the foods that they're eating, the cholesterol, the dairy products, the meat products. So it's, it's imperative that we continue this fight because we're not just fighting for the animals, we're fighting for humanity, we're fighting for our planet. So it's, it's natural to get frustrated is natural to get burned out but at some point you gotta you gotta pick yourself up dust yourself off and get back out there and fight i mean we're not gonna this is not something that's gonna go away in in one day one week a year 10 years but it, it's yeah when you're in this fight you're in it for the long haul i mean if you look at the civil rights um, uh, movement uh with with dr king and and all of those great leaders from the 50s and the 60s. I mean, the, we're still continuing that fight. I mean, we made small strides since then, but we're still living in an era where racism exists. Racism plays a, a, a big part of how people are treated in this country, how police view people of color. So we're, we're still continuing that fight. 
And it, it's, it's the same thing with anything else, the L- LGBTQ community or anything else that you might be passionate about, that you want to see change for the better. Just you have to keep going. We can't give up on ourselves. We, we can't give up on the animals. So that, that's what I think about. Like, it's not about me. It's about who I'm fighting for. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, um, I always feel like any hurt or pain that we might feel by being the witness and the spokesperson is, is nothing in comparison to what these innocent, truly innocent creatures have to endure. But you just said that so beautifully. And, and in terms of like your own health, like taking care of you and being strong, like what do you do? Because you look really fit. And so like, do you feel that taking, like taking good care of yourself kind of empowers you to continue to show up with all of your reserve? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm not the healthiest person. I'm not, uh, super fit. I think, I I think I'm really good at, at fooling people. (laughs) You look fit. All right. (laughs) Not, nobody else is going to see this is all going to be audio. So I'm telling you, he's very fit. Anyway. (laughs) Keep fooling people. Yeah, you have to take care of yourself for that. But that's with anything in life. Uh, first law of nature is self-preservation. And you have to take care of yourself before you do anything else. Because if you're not in good health, you're no good to anybody. So I really believe in uh, eating healthy and exercise. I mean, I'm not, I'm not intense about it. I'm not, I don't like doing it. I, I really don't. But I do it because I have to. And I know that my body... I'm only getting old and my body's going to slow down and it'll, it'll break down. And I don't want that to happen. So I can prolong my health by eating the right foods and exercising to, to kind of preserve my youth a bit so that I have the energy to do the things that I want to do. Okay. Well, I just, um, I have such admiration for you. I really, I have such, like you're, I'm your biggest fan and I want everybody else to be your biggest fan too. So what is the best way people can find more out about you, Stuart, and about the things that you're working on? Oh, uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at vigilante underscore vegan. Uh, I have a Facebook account, but I'm not really active on that. I only use it to see what, what activities are going on so that I can you know, contribute to them. Uh, but I'm Stuart Mitchell on Facebook. And that's really, that's really it. That's really it. And, and through Instagram, you can see everything else I'm doing, uh, the, the books that I write, uh, the, the activism that I, that I involve myself in and who I affiliate myself with to, because uh, I, I try to, in my, in my IG stories, I try to shed light on what other people are doing so people can get involved and help out when they can. Because a lot of times people, they get frustrated that they don't do enough activism or they can't do the activism they want to do, but... but all activism is important. Like you don't necessarily have to do demo, demos and vigils and, and bear witness all the time. Uh, like I said before, there's legislative action that can be taken. There is uh, campaigns, online campaigns that can be taken. So all forms of activism work. And I try to shed light on all, all these different types of activism so people can get involved and continue to do more for the animals. Uh, even if you just sign on a petition from, from your couch in your living room, you know, do something, be active, get involved. But uh, really the, the only outlet I, I'm, I work from right now is my, my Instagram page. Okay. Well, we'll have everybody follow you for sure and get involved because what you're doing is incredible. And um, I just, we'll have to have you back because I know after this, there's going to be lots of people that are going to want to ask, ask questions. So we'll have a part two coming up with 
our wonderful Batman here. <laughs> um, thank you for your time. Thank you for all the work you're doing as a, as a fellow vegan. I just really am so grateful for for just your dedication. It it inspires me, and I, I'm sure it'll inspire many other people. So thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the time. Yes. And for all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.